to Recess Tonight. This is part number two of two, where we're talking neurotrauma with Nicole Cook. She's a clinical nurse specialist, and if you haven't listened to episode number one yet, I suggest going back or else this episode will really won't make any sense to you. If you notice, this is the most relaxing and wonderful intro in the world because Alan isn't here. Let's just enjoy the bliss of that. Now we return to the episode. Now, can you tell us kind of the top three interventions a nurse can do for a patient mm-hmm. with increased ICP? Like, say I don't work at the Death Star where I've got every bell and whistle. I'm just living uh, in northern uh, Canada up in uh, like a small hospital in northern Nunavut. Um, waiting. So we, we, yeah, we just call it like Alderaan and then Death Star. And <laughs> yeah. then that's kind of how we'll differentiate like, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, like a critical access versus like a tertiary shaft. That's kind of how we'll, for all intents and purposes. I think that plays in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Europe. I think that plays everywhere. I think we're solid. Yep. That works. Okay, cool. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Like, like what can I do at the bedside to uh, decrease ICP? So first thing, assume just because you don't have an ICP monitor, ICP should still be in your brain. You like that little joke? That was funny. It was not um, bad, but I'm going to need you to work on the delivery, but it was continuing. Yep. <laughs> I, well, I, I realized it as I was saying it. I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself back to it. Sorry. Um, I'm smart, but not funny. So you guys are going to get one or the other basically is what's going to happen here. Um, so <laughs> um, just because you don't have an ICP monitor does not mean you should not think about ICP. Um, assume any patient with a traumatic brain injury that has an altered presentation of any way, shape, or form has increased intracranial pressure. You will never be wrong treating for potential in- increased intracranial pressure. None of the interventions you will do from a nursing perspective will ever hurt the patient. So just treat them for increased ICP no matter what. And what I mean by that is there are very basic nursing interventions you can do to decrease ICP. And they're are they going to potentially prevent somebody from herniating? Eh, maybe not. But are you going to save a couple of neurons and once again be the difference between walking out of the hospital or a trach, a peg, and a skilled nursing facility? Right? Like that's our that's our goal. So first thing is, um, please make sure their C collar is is fitting appropriately. Okay. And, and y'all know what I'm talking about. Granny comes in with her C collar and she's all just jacked to the side, right? Or you guys, I love it when they try to talk through the little hole that the trach would go through. It's a microphone, Like they'll Nicole. pull it up over their face. It's a, it's a microphone. It's a microphone. Um, so, <laughs> but they'll, right, an inappropriately fitting C collar or a neck that's super jimmy janked over to the side, right? You're going to impede uh, jugular venous outflow. There's actually studies that show cervical collars can increase intracranial pressure, um, either due to the mere fact that if you guys have never worn one, please go. Okay. Don't, I was going to say steal, go find one and go put it on. They're terribly uncomfortable. They're absolutely miserable. Just the mere noxious stimuli will jack up your ICP. Not to mention if it's just pushing on your neck or your head is janked to the side. So put your head midline, Make sure your C collar fits appropriately. The other thing you can do is raise your head a bit at least 30 degrees. Now, obviously let's think about, you know, are they in full spine precaution still, blah, blah, blah. Put them in reverse Trendelenburg. Or if I may, because Nicole forgot what this was called in school, 
And I literally looked at my clinical instructor and called it foot down in Berg. And yes, I, I, they still gave me a degree. So you're... Let's, let's verify that maybe though, just to be sure. I just, I can't, I, I, well, I think I spelled my name wrong on my licensing <laughs> exam. So there you go. I blame it on the fact that my parents named me after Alan Thicke because uh, they were looking for a, a quote Canadian name when they immigrated here. So they turned on the TV and found Alan Thicke. But I think Alan Thicke is actually spelled with one L, isn't it? This is definitely a not divergence a- that we really needed. Yeah, he's one L. He's one L, but they spelled Just to it be wrong, clear, so I'm not cutting any so, of this. Anyway, uh, carry on. <laughs> okay. I mean, Alan's over there sitting, eating cheese and talking about Alan Thicke. So you guys, you listeners are very welcome for this episode. Um, so anyway, so foot down and Berg is perfectly appropriate as needed. Okay. So just, just make sure that head of bed is raised. Normothermia, please. And thank you. Warm blankets, but not too hot, not too cold. I, hypothermia, hyperthermia will absolutely jack up your ICP and increase your cerebral oxygen needs. So make sure your patient is appropriately thermoregulated. Um, turn off the lights. And if you need to kick the family out, and this is hard, and this is a hard thing for us to do. And we've all seen this. And sometimes we do this, right? You, the family gets right up in the, in the patient's ear and it's, Alan, Alan, squeeze mama's hand. Right. But it's, it's, I, for, for our listeners, I'm toning, I'm not screaming, but you guys have seen this, right. It's, and, and this is what families do, right? This is their moment. They're trying to connect with their loved one. They're having a terrible moment right now. And this is how they, they try to connect with their family member. So it's all in how we approach it with the family, because that's what I would, it is mama's voice, but let's call it noxious stimuli. It's loud and there's tactile touching, right? So maybe the way we phrase this with family is, hey, I know you're really, really worried about Alan because we all are, um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really worried about Alan's brain swelling right now. And sometimes any noise, any movement, any touch can really kind of make that, that situation a little more worrisome for brain swelling. So um, if we can, I'm gonna turn off all the lights, you know, let's just try to whisper. You can sit here and hold Alan's hand, but let's just try to keep it really quiet and calm so we don't make Alan's brain swell anymore. If you frame it like that to family, they'll understand and they'll become a partner in your care, right? If it's just, and I need you to leave, they're not going to understand. But if you teach them why we're doing these things, then they'll become the gatekeepers. And then when neurosurgery comes in, flips on the lights and gets all loud, they're going to be like, Alan's brain is swelling. And they'll become your partner in care, right? So I think those, um, and then pain, just because they're on a, sed- on a sedative for their intubation does not mean they are on a pain medication, okay? I don't know if, you know, propofol is the big one. Diprovan is the one that we use. Diprovan propofol does not have any analgesic effects. It only has anesthetic effects, right? So that broken femur, that broken back, whatever it is underneath, is still hurting noxious stimuli, increasing ICP. These are basic nursing things we can do that will not harm your patient, that will potentially increase their ICP and be the difference between walking out and a trach in a pagan skilled nursing facility. Basic stuff. Love it. So box done. There's one thing that I really would like to, to mention. I really hope that you have that trademark, by the way. Um, Correct. Yes. Um, (laughs) It's really important that you trademark that because someone's going to steal that now, but um, those are, that's a tremendous run through of the, Mm -hmm. the stuff that 
any nurse working in large facility, small facility can make an impact mm-hmm. on someone's life. It's the important stuff that you can work on each shift to get better, right? To, to work at yeah. and those assessments and then those, those interventions, those are super great. And for me, I think that is the biggest winner of the day for me is going to be that conversation with bringing the family on your side because your side is the patient side, right? And I think right. that that is, that is the biggest winner of the day for me because exactly how you mentioned them is exactly how it plays out. Neurosurge resident walks in, flicks on the lights and is not trying to be harmful in any way, but now you've got a very protective mama at the bedside being like, you turn those lights off right now. <laughs> right. And, and the patient gets better care overall. And I, I think that's, right. a, that's the winner for me for, for something, for things I've heard today. I don't know, Alan, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It's a, it's a simple things that we, we routinely do that. I wonder if we need to put it into our consciousness more often and they are, um, serial assessments, whether they be, I mean, we do them for the abdomens, but we don't do them for the heads as much. So uh, serial assessments, uh, trend your vital signs or the Mm -hmm. vital signs for the brain. Um, Also um, treat pain, increase uh, the head of the bed for tight heads. Uh, And also if they have to wear the collar, get them onto one of those soft collars ASAP. And also if you, and if you can't increase this ahead of the bed, just trend them a little bit. Cause um, those things make a difference. In fact, the next time you see a neurosurgeon walk into a room with a patient with a tight, acutely tight head, watch what they usually first do. And they'll usually just Mm -hmm. raise the head of the bed because almost always we have them supine. Now, I'd like to move the, the case on to spinal cord injuries. Insert Ross piano me, me, sound me. effects here. Now, on a scale, that's DJ Khaled. On a scale of zero out of 10 for how tight butt cheeks tend to get when they have a spinal cord injury, I would say that people average around a good 8.8. You know, that is a... Um, disease process that is quite humbling to everyone. And I do want to bring out two studies that really helped shape my practice. There's one study that was published in 2018 uh, in Journal of Neurotrauma by Stryger yeah. and all. And they were looking at the comparison between norepinephrine or phenylephrine for spinal mm-hmm. cord perfusion in pigs. And the second one was another paper from the Journal uh, of Neurosurgery. And this one was by Sade Mm -hmm. and all. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it was a systematic review looking at uh, the impact of blood pressure management after spinal cord injury. So I think we can all agree here that patients with acute spinal cord injuries want higher blood pressure based on the limited evidence that we have. Um, And I look forward to any other trials that may refute this, but so far based on the evidence that we have, that is the standard of care. So Nicole, I'm a nurse here. I've got a patient with a spinal cord injury. How do I, as a nurse help with blood pressure management for that? Yeah, that's, 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 that's the big thing right now in spinal cords, right? I think we've all kind of finally come to a consensus that, yeah, like we need to address potential malperfusion and you're right. I mean, the, the evidence is okay. Um, and what predominantly a lot of the evidence says is, well, you're not going to really harm them by making sure their map is high. Um, and you may help them. And that's in a lot of medicine and a lot of literature. It's, well, you're not going to hurt them, but we think it's going to help. And it's, I think it's going to help. That's right. That's important. And, and it makes sense, right? We talk about malperfusion and neuro. It makes, you know, that's cool. Is it potentially going to harm the patient to throw them on a little levo for, you know, depending on the study you look at, it's, you know, three to five, greater than five days, up to a week, depending on the study and depending on what your shop goes with. 
Um, big things you want to make sure is you're still optimizing pain control with your uh, blood pressure management, right? Because they're going to go hand in hand. And once again, our brain always, our brain, but you know, our thought process in neurotrauma is always, or in trauma is, yay, systolic of 90. And that's not going to cut it in our spinal cord patients. The literature reflects at least a map of 85. And so patients that you weren't used to starting on levofed early in their process, you're now starting on levofed much earlier in their process, which means you may see more central lines placed in your emergency department. And hopefully, I'm hoping you're seeing more A lines placed in your emergency department if you're in a larger facility that uses them, right? Because if you're going to start, if, if you're going to be holding them in the ED for any length of time, obviously, we want them out of the ED up to the critical care unit as soon as possible. But let's be perfectly honest, in today's nursing culture, we're a little tight, right? All over the country, patients are getting boarded. So you're really going to want to watch that closely. The evidence points more to using Levofed um, or Norepi, I think, in a lot of the studies. And that's what we've been using in our shop is Levo. Um, we'll start it, we'll titrate it for a map of 85. And what we have gone with is a map goal of a week. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing you have to think about is making sure you're adequately managing their pain medicine and their and their sedation while managing those uh, those vasopressors and realizing that you know yeah if you've got to jack up their their fentanyl to make them more comfortable because right then maybe you've got to raise up that leave effect you've got to find that happy balance and that happy comfort level of titrating both of those medications together because um, they need both right? They need to be pain-free. They are as comfortable as possible, but we also need to perfuse their cord as, as good as possible as well. And so making sure that you recognize that those two work together synergistically or antagonistically, if you know, in some cases, and that making sure that you're addressing that perspective, making sure there's adequate fluid in the pipes as well. Um, you know, if there's not hemorrhagic shock, um, you know, do they need a little fluid on board? They are now NPO, let's be perfectly honest. And most people come in dehydrated. Let's be also very honest. We could all probably use a 500 mil bolus on any given day of the week. So making sure their fluids are optimized and then making sure you squeeze the pipes, right? Like make sure there's fluid in the pipes and that the pipes are squoze. Squoze is a technical term. Also, just so you guys are aware. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm getting a whole no, new nomenclature here today. Uh, yeah, so, feel free to use it in rounds next time. Make sure the pipes are squoze. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you bring up a, a number of good points, specifically about um, the pipes and um, spinal cord injuries, because uh, typically with the high cervical spine injuries, there is a runs a high risk of a, being associated with a neurogenic shock, and which is a type of distributive okay. shock. So, mm -hmm. the, the the like the theory goes that that you'll likely have some sort of third spacing or you'll lose some volume into the interstitium. But we also have to think about the common um, population that typically have uh, this type of spinal cord injury. And they're usually healthy young males uh, yeah. doing activities and young healthy males typically have normal kidneys so if you're increasing blood pressure their kidneys are going to get perfused and they're going to make more urine so then you have to mm -hmm. think about two different routes of where you may uh, be running a net 
volume deficit. Now, I brought up that um, that the paper by Stryger and all about phenylephrine and norepinephrine because it's on, on again it's on pig models. So, and we know that that yeah. doesn't usually translate to to humans, but it's important, particularly that this study uh, looked found that norepinephrine was probably better than phenylephrine with regards to blood pressure, uh, sorry, for spinal cord perfusion. And this is, impacts how we deliver care to people because we know that if norepinephrine goes interstitial and it's not going into a central line, it's going to a peripheral line and it goes interstitial, that there's a higher risk of uh, necrosis around there. Whereas mm -hmm. phenylephrine, on the other hand, is usually a bit safer for um for the peripheral site. So Nicole, right. I'm hoping you could share with us about if we had to run norepinephrine peripherally, what pearls and tips do you have for us uh, at the bedside to prevent a catastrophic error um, with extravasation? Um, right. Cause we've potentially, you know, you guys have been in this position maybe where, you know, this is, this is the line we got providers going to put in a central line. Hasn't had a chance to yet pressures in the proverbial toilet, right? And we need to get this started. So, um, and, you know, I also, you know, want to say this, this is based, you know, look at your policies and your procedures, talk to your pharmacist, figure out what, what your shop will do. But in general, I think what you need to make sure is that this is a good, as large bore as you possibly can get it in the most proximal vein that you can do, right? Like, please, like, if you got an AC and you got a thumb vein, please put this in the AC. Like, I feel like that doesn't need to be said, but it needs to be said, right? Okay. So the largest IV you can, before you start it, make sure this, this vein will draw back. Okay. So make sure you can draw back. If it does not draw back, investigate why. This patient should be pretty fresh. This line should be pretty fresh. There shouldn't be some kind of a fibrin cap on it, right? Like this line should be good. Make sure it draws back. Don't put it on the side where the blood pressure cuff is running pretty, pretty please. And thank you. Okay. Cause that's the last thing you need is that increased pressure every five minutes, right. Proximal to that line, compressing that venous flow, right. That's going to make you more at risk for that actual site leaking and potential extravasation. And look at the quality of your patient's veins, right. I mean, Alan's right. These spinal cord patients are predominantly young, healthy dudes, but there is a small subsection of like geriatric patients that are very prone to what's called a central cord injury. And they just like, they'll just fall, they'll hit their head. They have a central cord and central cords can be hit or miss on, you know, kind of neurogenic shocky stuff. But if, if your patient comes in frail, they're on prednisone chronically, their veins just look terrible, right? you may just need to sit in there and watch that line like a hawk. And then you may need to be reminding that provider very, very robustly and very obnoxiously that, Hey, I'm, I'm running this, this potentially dangerous drug through this line and I'm watching it really closely, but where is my central line, ma'am? Do I need to put it in myself? Um, right. But I think that's the big things is make sure the line flushes, make sure it draws back, watch it like a hawk. Don't put your blood pressure cuff on the same side large bore as high up on that arm as you can. Um, and then, you know, pray that the central line gods will come and bless you with a lovely triple lumen as soon as possible. And, and, you know, go from there. But I, I we've all been in that situation. You do what you got to do, but in the end of the, in the end, if it's that or the patient's, you know, pressure completely tanks and goes, did, you know, you're welcome for that. Um, but if that's what happens, start your presser.
Right. I feel like your second career is going to be in um, voiceover work with sound. Fantastic. Yeah, I really, I'm really excited for you. I think Pixar is really going to be excited with their new signing. That's great. Um, You're not supposed to tell anybody that contract <laughs> is really secret right now. My bad. Um, okay, so I, I'm, I don't know about you uh, all, but this has been a really, really good series um, of neuro goodness. Um, I am not someone who loves neuro, so this has been very helpful um, in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, that, this has been, there's been a lot of takeaways for me. So I'm really stoked about it. Um, Alan, anything you wanted to kind of pile on at the end? Uh, admittedly, I was going to be like, bah, when I, Nicole introduced herself, but then I realized that's the sound a sheep makes and not what a llama makes. Anyway, Nicole, how do we find? So for context, in case nobody knows, I am the trauma llama on Twitter. <laughs> that is my, that is my name. I mean, my handle is not my, I'm trauma soapboxes, but I am the trauma llama. And so uh, if you follow me, which you should, because I'm hilarious, uh, there's a lot of llama associated humor. So <laughs> if this has been mildly entertaining, I, I do suggest you follow Nicole on Twitter because she is a heck of a good follow, um, a very entertaining human. And she's got some really exciting stuff coming forward, which I'm sure will, uh, Twitter will be made aware of when that happens. So um, it's a it's definitely worth uh, chatting to her about and, and read the new paper that you have published out there too on CO2, because as everyone knows, um, we love CO2. CO2 is wonderful. And clearly Nicole has a crush on CO2. And so therefore we'll, um, uh, it, it's worth a, a read and we can link that paper through, through the podcast too. So it's, uh, it's available, awesome. but thank, thank you, you so much, Nicole, for taking time. Um, honestly, um, really, really do appreciate it. Um, and, and I hope yeah, that you thank have you guys for having me. our absolute pleasure. Uh, all right. Well, that's all for recess tonight. Everyone take care and we'll see y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>